right, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Doug, the director. Oh, hi, Nick. Uh, I'm, the, I'm Doug, the director of student ministry here at Warehouse, and it's great to be worshiping with all of you this morning, uh, either in person or online. Hello. Uh, today would not be complete without you, so I'm glad you're all here. And this morning, we are wrapping up our Lenten series on Jonah called The Prolonged Journey. Uh, and in preparation for this time, my wife Camille and I, uh, we watched the Ve Jonah VeggieTales movie on Friday, so I'm feeling very prepared. Um, I may burst into song, who's to say? I may call Jonah an asparagus, we'll see. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's it. So our text today uh, is Jonah 4, chapter 4, verse 5 through 11. Uh, so let's get into it. You can either... Uh, follow along with the Bible from the back or on your phone, or you can read along on the screens behind me. And that's Jonah 4, 5 through 11. All right. And Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have, not been or you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The word of the Lord. All right, so when I was in elementary school, um, I rode the bus every day, and on the bus there was this uh, unspoken yet distinct seating hierarchy, uh, a pecking order, if you will, of where kids could sit. It was like the lame first graders in the back, and the cool popular fourth, or in the front, and then the cool popular fourth graders in the back. So first to fourth, and then everyone else had to uh, sort themselves based on grade and how cool they were. Um, and that was it. And that was the system that, that you, had to, you had to sit in your safe zones. Uh, but one day when I was in second grade, I thought to myself, man, I wish I could be like the cool kids, because all the cool kids, they seem to fit in. Uh, so instead of sitting in my usual spot somewhere in the middle, uh, I moved and I sat in the back of the bus. And boy, was it exciting. It was the height of luxury. I felt like the king of the world. It was like the short little seat where it could only be me sitting there by myself. It was very exciting for me until the fourth graders got on. Uh, and then one fourth grader in particular had a real problem with my decision, uh, and he let me have it. He called me all sorts of names and berated me and belittled me, and he was loud enough to make sure everyone could hear my humiliation including my older sister. 
which was his mistake. Uh, Because as I sat there crying, feeling small and powerless, I saw my sister, who was also in fourth grade. She got up, she walked to the back, got right up in the bully's face and said, hey, leave him alone. That's my brother and he can sit wherever he wants. Yeah, he left us alone after that. It was awesome. Yeah, and in fact, my kid, or uh, this kid, uh, avoided my sister for the next eight years. Uh, He actually graduated high school without saying another word to her. He would see her in the hallway, put his head down, and veer out of her way. Like, she scared him so badly. I feel bad for that kid. Um, And I share this story, one, to brag about my sister, because she's awesome, Uh, and two, because I wonder uh, if many of us don't expect God to do the same thing for us. Uh, Many of us have grown up in the church or have been here for a while, uh, so we're probably familiar with stories where God provides, protects, and loves. Stories where God stands up to the bullies of life by answering prayers, delivering a miracle, or providing a way out when there seems to be none. Maybe uh, you're here today precisely because you have experienced God's transformative power and presence firsthand. And because we know these stories, we may also feel confident to bring our concerns before God, hoping that God will do the same thing in our lives. We may pray that God will heal us when we're sick, mend our broken relationships, help us with our bad habits, help us with our bad feelings, uh, take away our pains, and a whole host of other things because we know God can answer those prayers. If God has done it before, God can certainly do it again. Of course, that just makes it all the more devastating when God doesn't answer those prayers. Uh, Because even though we may trust and pray, not all our problems go away. Not all our broken relationships mend. Not all our pains heal. And sometimes healing doesn't come. Sometimes the bullies win. And when that happens, I find it all too easy to become bitter and despondent, sinking into the belief that God is withholding the help I know I rightfully deserve. After all, I'm a good guy. Why wouldn't God help me? Why wouldn't God deliver me when I need it most? If God really cared, wouldn't God want to protect me from pain and hurt? Wouldn't God want to save the people he loves? And in those moments when God seems absent or apathetic, I can't help but wonder if God doesn't whisper what he said to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to demand a miracle? Is it right to expect a life of no hardship or suffering? Is it right to dictate salvation on our terms? And I think this is the crux of the conflict between God and Jonah in our passage this morning. Starting in verse 5, we see Jonah head to a place east of the city so he could see what would happen to it. 
which kind of strikes me as odd because as we saw a couple weeks ago, uh, the Ninevites repented. Jonah went in, he gave the message of God's word, they repented, the job is done. Nothing is going to happen to the city. Nothing should happen to the city. Right? Go home. Go home, Jonah. You did your job. But in the culture of that day, uh, the East was often associated with judgment. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, God's judgment is found or comes from the East. When Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden, God sends them eastward. In the Exodus story, God sends plagues to Egypt with an eastward wind. Other prophets like Jeremiah also speak of God's judgment as an eastward wind. So when Jonah sat down east of the city, it shows he still expects God to punish his enemies. He expects God to judge his bullies. He wants God to stand up for him. And in a way, God does bring judgment. Because in the midst of Jonah's major meltdown and some random plant that grows and dies overnight, we read in verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. And what comes from the east again? Judgment. Man, you guys are on it, right? So God took Jonah's desire for judgment and flipped it on itself. Jonah moved east so God would judge the Ninevites. Instead, God judged him. God didn't judge the sins of Jonah's enemies, but God judged Jonah's sins. God want, or Jonah wanted God to save him from the Ninevites, but God wanted to save Jonah from himself. Truth is, God could have done exactly what Jonah wanted. God could have destroyed the Ninevites. The Ninevites, after all, were notorious for their cruelty and brutality throughout the region. They terrorized and exploited their neighbors. They made the lives of everyone else miserable. And there was nothing Jonah or the Israelites could do about it. They couldn't stand up to the Ninevites. It's not just that the Ninevites were Jonah's enemies. They were his oppressors. And it would have been well within God's justice to punish their wickedness. But if God did that, if God changed his mind, if God listened to Jonah, I don't think it would have really saved Jonah. Not really. Because Jonah still would have been an intolerant, spiteful person. If it wasn't the Ninevites, Jonah still would have hated the next group, the next nation that threatened him. Jonah still would only know how to despise the people who stand against him. Jonah still would have had hate in his heart, but God loved Jonah too much to leave him stuck in that place. So God willfully disappointed Jonah, willfully incurred his anger so that Jonah could have what he truly needed, life with God. Because the Hebrew word for wind, ruah, ruach, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but close enough, Mike? Great. Okay, so the Hebrew word for wind uh, is the same word for the breath of God or the spirit of God. 
So this wind is not just a, like a gust of air, uh, but it also carries the connotation of being the very presence of God's spirit. This is God's very being coming to Jonah so that Jonah could experience a greater uh, depth of God's character, the, a wider breadth of God's compassion. And if God listened to Jonah, Jonah would have missed that. Jonah would have missed out on meeting God in a new way. Jonah would have missed it. I think we would have missed it. Because like God, or because like Mike, oh, what a slip. Uh, Because like Mike, (laughs) yeah, that's a good, good note. Okay, great. (laughs) Because like Mike, mentioned last week. Uh, The book of Jonah may or may not be a literal story. Jonah was a real guy. Nineveh was a real place. Uh, But did this exact story happen exactly as it's recorded? Uh, Maybe. Maybe not. And honestly, I don't know if it matters too much because I don't think it's the point of the story. Like, the author um, doesn't seem very concerned with finishing the story. Right? Instead, the book ends with a question. It ends, uh, or the book ends with God asking Jonah, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Should I not have concern? Should I not have compassion? Like, that's it. There's no narrative resolution here. Does Jonah go home repentant? Uh, Does Jonah stay mad at God? Does God uh, smite Jonah for being stubborn? We have no idea. Maybe. Maybe not. Who knows? Right? Because the point of the story um, is not to record events, but to consider, should God be compassionate to our enemies? Should God, be, uh, should God have concern for Jonah's enemies? And I think by not including Jonah's response, I think the author is inviting us to consider, are we okay with a God who loves our enemies? Are we okay with a compassionate God? Are we okay with a God who doesn't always save us from our problems, but through our problems? Are we okay with a God who wants to save us from ourselves? And I've been thinking about this question uh, quite a bit recently. Am I okay with God saving me from myself. And the more I've thought about it, the more I have felt convicted, not because I'm like Jonah, but because I realize I'm more like Nineveh. As much as Jonah needed to be saved from his hatred, he hated them for good reason, right? The Ninevites were bullies. They used their power and position to give themselves a life of ease and success, uh, no matter how it affected their neighbor. God sent Jonah to the Ninevites in the first place because they needed saving, right? God needed to save the Ninevites from their apathy, their pride, their destructive selfishness. So yes, there have been times where I have felt like Jonah, uh, powerless in the face of hardship and suffering, and I have wrestled with God and myself in those moments, and I can still be a Ninevite. 
I know I can be the cause of other people's suffering and pain. Wow. And I know not just uh, in my personal life, but then also on um, like a broader societal level. Um, yeah. So as some of you may know, um, the Mecklenburg County Commissioners uh, recently published a report detailing the history of systemic racism in the county. And while I was reading the report, uh, I just kept thinking about how the people who discriminated against and disenfranchised their black neighbors looked and sounded a lot like me. And how many of them even claimed the same God. And I know I have and still benefit from the racism of those institutions. Like, my worst experience on a bus is an elementary school bully. Um, other people have been bullied on a bus by the government. It's not the same thing. They cannot compare. And the more um, I learn about systemic racism, the more I see how I have reinforced and perpetuated those injustices. The more I learn, the more I see how harmful my past apathy and complacency has been. Even as I desire to join in efforts to build a more just society, I know I'm still learning. I know I still have some Nineveh in me. Yeah. But I thank God for not leaving, uh, for not leaving me stuck in that place. I thank God he shows compassion to bullies and enemies like me. And I thank God for Warehouse. And I'm grateful to be a part of a community that seeks restorative reconciliation and encourages repentance in areas of social justice. I'm thankful for the efforts of this community, the Social Justice Book Club, um, events like the community conversation that was held this past week, uh, and our support of missional partners around the city. Like, the work that Mark is doing is great. And I'm grateful for how God uses these efforts to save the privileged from themselves. Not that all these efforts are perfect, but they're good. And I thank God for that. Because God's heart is to save both the bullied and the bullies. God desires to show compassion and mercy to both Jonah and Nineveh. God desires to save both groups from themselves. God calls all of us, everyone, to confront the shadows of shame and selfishness. God convicts everyone to repent of the fear and hatred and deception that separates us from him and from one another. So we who claim to follow Christ are called to love our enemies, not because it's good, but because God loves his enemies. We work to set the captives free and defend the powerless because God sets the captives free and God defends the powerless. We deny ourselves and pick up the cross because Jesus, God in the flesh, denied himself 
and picked up his cross. So as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, um, I want us to keep in mind that the crowd that shouted, Hosanna, save us, they also, it was also the crowd on Friday that shouted, crucify him. The crowd went from wanting to coronate Jesus to wanting to crucify him in five days. Five days. So what happened? What changed? I think the crowd was not okay with the God who extended grace to their enemies. I don't know if the crowd was okay with a God who didn't save them from their bullies, but through and with their bullies. And my prayer for us this morning is that we won't make the same mistake. Instead, my prayer is that we will know how to respond to God's transforming presence of grace. So in a moment, uh, we're going to end with uh, a liturgy of silence and confession. And my hope is that it will be a time for us to consider where God's east wind is blowing in our own lives. Whether you're Jonah or Nineveh or uh, maybe a mix of both, I want you to consider where God may be trying to work in your heart today. Where is God convicting you? Where have you let fear and hatred seep in? Where have you bought into the world's lies about your value and identity? Where might God be trying to save you, not from your circumstances, but from yourself? Because, friends, the fullness of life, the life God made us for, isn't found in the absence of pain. It isn't found in ease and comfort. It isn't found in satiating our desires. No, the fullness of life is only found in the presence of a holy God that loves us too much to leave us alone. And in a world full of cruelty and brokenness, that is good news. So join me in a time of silence and confession. The words will be on the screen behind me as we pray, God of all mercy and consolation. Come to the help of your people, turning us from our sin to live for you alone. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit that we may confess our sin, receive your forgiveness, and grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So let us now silently confess our sins in the presence of God and one another. And now as you are ready, I invite you to join me in corporate confession, saying, Most merciful God.
We confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. Amen.